How many of you would say that you enjoy conflict? Enjoy confrontation? We got one taker over here? Is that it? <laughs> we've all maybe felt like we've known somebody that maybe did just because it seemed to kind of follow them everywhere they went. <laughs> But I think most of us uh, tend to fall on the side of avoiding conflict and confrontation like the plague because it's never an enjoyable experience. Came across a story, interesting story that I want to share with you. There were a couple of brothers, Adolf and Rudolf Dassler, who uh, started a very humble shoe business in the basement of their mother's home. This is back in the 1920s in Germany. And they called it the Dassler Brothers Shoe Factory. They took a long time to come up with that one, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and like a lot of sibling relationships, their, their relationship was, was quite strained pretty much constantly. And it didn't help that uh, their wives bickered all the time as well. So they, you know, were kind of managing their business, doing okay, until the 1936 Olympics rolled around which if uh, those of you who were there, were, don't, don't point at me, uh, in Berlin, in Germany, and you remember the man in the Olympics that year was Jesse Owens, right? He cleaned up, took care of business. Uh, well, it just so happens that the shoes that Mr. Owens did all of that amazing work with in the Olympics were made by the Dassler brothers. Pretty cool thing. So. That was huge, right? Sales just skyrocketed, went through the roof. Uh, all of that was good. Unfortunately, all of this international success that they experienced did not help with their relationship. It became even more strained after all of the, the success, thanks to Mr. Owens. This was also uh, the World War II timeframe that was going on, and I guess apparently it boiled over finally um, when there was another Allied bombing raid going on, and uh, Rudolph and his family were in the bomb shelter, and Adolf got there a little bit late, but joined them. And the first thing that he said when he got in there is, here are those bloody you-know-whats again. And of course, he was referring to the Allied bombers, but maybe because of their strained relationship, Rudolph was just convinced that Adolf was talking about him and his family. <laughs> and I mean, nobody could convince him otherwise. He, he just like, you know... That's my brother. So it just, it, things went from bad to worse at that point, and they, they just kind of came to an impasse and said, that's it. So in 1948, they dissolved their business. They went their separate ways, but they both went into business for themselves and started new businesses. Adolf, whose nickname was Addy, decided to name his company using his nickname and the first three letters of his last name. And his brother, Rudolph, who went by Rudy, that was his nickname, started with the name Ruda for his company. And then at some point, he tweaked it a little bit to share a name with a certain wildcat. So to this day, these two companies still exist, and they are still in competition. It's Adidas and Puma. Some of you may have some of their gear on this morning. They've done quite well. Interesting story of some conflict that happened, 
uh, two brothers that were always, always in conflict and finally just went their separate ways. Very successful from a business perspective, uh, much more than shoe companies to this day, lots of uh, all kinds of, of sports gear. Unfortunately, their relationship never, never mended, never came back together. But if you are somebody who doesn't like confrontation and you don't like conflict, you were maybe squirming a little bit last week as Britain was talking about the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. In fact, you can go ahead and head that way if you want to. We're going to be back in Acts 15 this morning. So you remember the Jerusalem Council from last week? Um, that, that, that big thing that was going on there, strong disagreement between Paul and Barnabas and all of the Judaizers who were in the circumcision camp. Um, and, you know, I think we would, we would all admit that it was a necessary confrontation that took place because we're talking about a very serious doctrinal matter that was going on between the two churches in Antioch and Jerusalem at that time. Right? It, was a, it was a big time thing, whether the, the Gentiles had to be circumcised in order to be eligible to even become Christians and be part of the church. So that was a serious doctrinal matter that had the power to, to divide and even destroy the early church that was just getting started at that point. The good news is the way that those two churches resolved that conflict is still a model for how we can resolve conflict at that level today. If you think back to what Britain was talking about last week, right? They came together as churches. They got together in person, face-to-face, to talk this thing out. It wasn't over texting <laughs> or social media or, or and even the phone, for that matter. They got together to talk this thing out. They both got to share their sides. They got to share their beliefs. They got to share their convictions. They both got to, to say their piece. They had the meeting uh, with highly respected, highly mature, trustworthy spiritual leaders who were there, who then made a very wise decision after hearing both sides. And maybe the most important thing is that everybody agreed to abide by the decision that was made after that whole Jerusalem council, that the Gentiles did not have to convert to Judaism. They did not have to go through all of that to become Christians. So Luke can kind of continues this theme in Acts chapter 15. We're going to be at the end of the chapter, picking up in verse 36. He's dealing with another conflict here. Only this time it's, uh, it's of a personal matter as opposed to the doctrinal matter that we looked at last week. And the two participants in this conflict here may be a little bit surprising to you. They, they kind of were to me. Um, Luke reports on a strong disagreement here between... A couple of guys who we kind of consider to be spiritual giants, Paul and Barnabas. These guys were, were really good friends. They have a, had a long history together. And the result of their confrontation here, their conflict, resulted in them going their separate ways, kind of like the Dassler brothers. They, they had plans to take uh, another, another journey together, but we're going to find out that that didn't happen. So let's pick up right where Britain left off last week, starting in verse 36. We're just going to look at that one verse to start with. It said, Some time later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Okay, so Paul's just suggesting that he and his good friend Barnabas return to all of the cities that they visited on that first missionary trip. 
and if, if you're looking at this, Paul's original proposal wasn't so much of a, a second missionary journey as it was just kind of a return trip, kind of a rerun of that first missionary journey that they took. The primary purpose even doesn't necessarily seem as much to be evangelistic as it does edification, right? He just wanted to see how the saints were doing. He wanted to see how the churches were doing. He wanted to just come back around and strengthen and encourage those who had trusted in Jesus on that first journey. And I think this really kind of shows us that Paul had a true pastor's heart, right? It, he was not just merely content with planting the churches. He understood the importance of strengthening and encouraging those people who were already Christians and nurturing them and trying to help them grow in their faith. That's, that, that's Paul. But then the conflict happens. Let's take a look. 37 through the end of the chapter there in Acts 15. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So, as we might expect, Barnabas was completely on board here. With, this, with Paul's idea of, of kind of going back through all the cities where they had planted churches. But he was insistent upon taking John Mark. Some translations say John, some say Mark. We're going to call him John Mark so we know who we're talking about. Barnabas was insistent on taking John Mark with them again. We we'll say again because he was with them on that first missionary journey, which started in Antioch of Syria. That was kind of their home base for Paul and Barnabas. That's the church that was part of the Jerusalem Council as well. So that's where they started from. They sailed west to the island of Cyprus, and then they sailed, they hit a couple of cities there, and then they sailed up to Pamphylia, which is modern-day Turkey today. And it was there in Pamphylia where, for whatever reason, John Mark decided that he wanted to go back home. Um, and again, we're not told why. You can go back a couple of pages to Acts 13, 13. You can see where... John Mark makes this decision that he wants to go home. So, you know, since Luke doesn't tell us why he left the group and went back to Jerusalem, of course, we have to speculate because we have to know everything. We have to understand everything. So there's tons of speculation out there that, you know, he was homesick. You know, he'd been, gone, he'd been away from home too long. There's, there's people that think that, that say he got sick like Paul did. Paul got sick on that first journey which is why they kind of went up into Galatia from the first place. We don't know if it was to get away from whatever area they were in where he got sick or if there was medical help up there. We don't know. But some say, well, John Mark got sick too, and he's like, I'm not going up there. I'm going back. You know, I'm going to go help find my family doctor or whatever back home, my PCP. So some people say that. Some people say that the, the route from Pamphylia up into Galatia was treacherous, which it was. It was kind of a valley between a couple of mountains. It was very crooked. There was lots of places for bandits and robbers to hide. It wasn't a safe journey, and he was kind of like, man, I did not sign up for this. I am not going in there. Whatever. Lots of speculation. We don't know, but he know, we do know that he turned back and he went home at that point. So, so Paul, in his argument here with Barnabas, he's adamant. He's like, I'm not doing this again. I'm not taking this guy again. You know, he bailed on us the first time. He deserted us. And so Paul's trust in John Mark was, was shot. It was gone. So here we go. Barnabas 
was not willing to go without John Mark. Paul was not willing to go with John Mark, so they are at an impasse. Um, and of course, neither one of these guys was willing to change their position. So as you saw there in verse 39, Luke called it a very, very sharp disagreement that took place. So who was right? Who was wrong? Good old Luke doesn't tell us again. He's not helping us out here at all. So, of course, we have to speculate. No, we don't, but lots of people do. There are folks who kind of fall on the side of, of Paul here. Um, because if you kind of, you know, they, they get into the text there a little bit, and they like to say that, well, you know, you know he, he chose Silas for his new partner, and it says that the church there commended Paul and Silas for their journey, but it doesn't mention that they commended, commended um, Barnabas and John Mark. So, you know, that tells you that the church was on the side of Paul and Silas here, and so Barnabas had to be wrong. And then, of course, there's people that are on the Barnabas side of the fence, too, and say, well, Paul was just being pig-headed, and he was too stubborn to give in. Here's this guy who fought so hard and so long for the Gentiles, right, to be able to, to become Christians, to be part of the church. Well, where was that for John Mark? You know, where was the fight for John Mark? Where was the grace for John Mark? So there, there's people on both sides of the fence uh, when it comes to all of this. You know, the bottom line is it's never good when personal disputes flare up within the church, especially when it's among those who are serving and who are leading in ministry. That's just never a good thing. And whenever there is sharp contention on something, somebody's wrong most of the time. In fact, I think we would all agree that sometimes there's wrong on both sides. Usually takes two. Usually does. Um, I think a lot of us are probably more drawn to Barnabas in this situation. Um, you know, we, we think about ourselves and how many times we've really needed a second chance from somebody after we've messed up, after we've made a mistake. You know, we, we would really like to have another chance to make it right, to do better or whatever. And, of course, we remember who Barnabas was. We talked about him not that long ago. His son means, his son, his name means son of encouragement. And that was certainly a gift of his. One of the first stories we see with him was where he stepped in on Paul's behalf, right? Right after Paul's conversion. When he, he, was, he was ready to go. I mean, God just got a hold of him, and, but all the, the church, the Christians were still deadly afraid of him because they, they knew who he was. They knew why he was there. And they're like, no, 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 we're not following for that. This is a trick. You know, he's just trying to get in on this, and, and we know what he, who this guy is, and we know what he does. And Barnabas was the one who stepped in and put his arm around Paul and said, it, it's okay. This is legit. This is for real. God has changed this man. He's one of us. He's part of us. He can help us. And that, that's really when Paul and Barnabas became such good friends, right? When Barnabas went to bat for him. And then we know later on when, when things started happening, going crazy in Antioch and the church there and Gentiles were, were turning to the Lord and, and Barnabas got overwhelmed, remember? And he knew who he needed help from. That's when he went looking for Paul. He tracked him down and found Paul and brought him back to Antioch because he needed help with the church there. So th these guys have a history a great history. They're good friends. So Barnabas, ever the encourager, was just not willing to leave John Mark behind. And it probably helped a little bit too that John Mark was Barnabas's cousin. <laughs> we see that in, in Colossians 4.10. So there's some family stuff going on there too, I'm sure. But 
without trying to lay blame anywhere, we have this conflict. Paul and Barnabas, two amazing guys, right? And we, we, we see that they essentially agree to disagree. Paul took, took Silas as his new partner, and they headed north through Syria and Cilicia, and then we know they, they second missionary journey was massive. They ended up taking. Barnabas took John Mark, and they sailed west. They went back to Cyprus, so they went, went their separate ways. So we've got two godly men here, loved by the churches, filled with the Spirit. They endured a tremendous amount of persecution together on their trip. They were seeing people saved. They, they really enjoyed an effective ministry together, yet they were fallible. They did not see eye to eye on this particular situation. They probably didn't see eye to eye on, on a lot of things. They argued and they ended up going their separate ways. So even the best, even the most faithful among us are prone to interpersonal conflicts and mistakes, right? We all are, right? We're all fallen human beings. And it's hard to know just how long their personal race relationship was strained. We don't see a whole lot between these two in Scripture after this. But we know as Christians that we are commanded to resolve our problems, right? Before we come to the Lord to, to do anything. Right? Jesus was, was speaking uh, back in Matthew chapter 5. And he was said, you know, if you come to the altar with your gift and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, what does he say to do? Right? Leave your gift there at the altar. Go to that brother or sister and be reconciled to them. Work it out. Resolve the conflict, whatever's going on. Then you can come back and you can offer your gift. Then we can come back and we can do, we can pray, we can serve, we can give, we can worship. We can do all of those things, guys, because we understand that broken relationships can hinder our relationship with God. I don't think we think about that a lot of the times when we're dealing with some of this stuff. But broken relationships can hinder the relationship that we have with the Lord. So there's so much truth there, right? So Jesus commands us to make it right. And it's obvious that Paul and Barnabas did. It, it, we can at least tell that from looking into Scripture as they kind of go forward. And we, we saw a happy ending last week with the Jerusalem Council, right? They agreed that the Gentiles did not have to convert to Judaism. They did not have to be circumcised before they could be saved by faith and become part of the church. And there's a happy ending to the conflict that we see this week, too, between pretty, two pretty amazing men of God who just happen to be really good friends. So for those of you who do um, hate conflict and are squirming a little bit again this week, you can relax. Here's the good news. First of all, we know that the ministries of both men continued. Okay? In fact, if you think about it, the number of missionary teams to the Gentiles just, dub just doubled. We got Paul and Silas going north. We got Barnabas and, and John Mark going west. So God can, can use even our disagreements and our divisions for his glory, for his kingdom, for his work. It doesn't justify when we've done something wrong to damage a relationship. It's important for us, again, to come around and, and make that right to the best of our ability. But God can use whatever we've drummed up in our lives, whatever is going on in our relationships. He can use that 
to further his work. So we know that Paul and Barnabas both continued to depend on God. Just like oh, Addie and Rudy Dassler, they, they parted ways. Uh, fortunately, unlike Addie and Rudy, Paul and Barnabas moved forward peacefully. They moved forward in cooperation, right? And, and, and the matters of personal opinion and practical procedure, Paul and Barnabas differed. But in matters of doctrine, they saw the importance of taking the gospel to a lost world, world and they were united in what was truly important. That's what mattered for them. We do know, um, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul later affectionately mentioned Barnabas when he was writing to the church in Corinth there and commending Barnabas and saying that he was worthy of their monetary support. So he's behind Barnabas. He's supporting his ministry. He's supporting him as a person, as a missionary to the church there, speaking very favorably and affectionately of him. So we know that Paul and Barnabas were good. Their friendship, their brotherhood was intact. That's so important. So there's a happy ending there. And, and as for Paul and John Mark, you can imagine that was probably strain too when he was kind of like, I ain't taking that guy with us again. There was some strain there. We see total reconciliation in Scripture between these two guys. In uh, 2 Timothy 4.11, we see Paul asking Timothy to bring John Mark with him when he comes to Rome. This is when, when Paul was in Rome and under lock and key there, and he, he needed help. There was only so much he could do from his house arrest that he was under there. So he needed help. We know that Luke was there who's writing all of this. And he was asking Timothy to come and bring John Mark because he said, and depending on your translation, that John Mark was either useful or helpful to him. That tells you that they got over whatever was there between those two guys, the whole desertion thing, that Paul saw who John Mark was and how amazing he was and how solid and strong he was and what a benefit he was to the ministry. In Colossians 4.10 that I mentioned earlier, John Mark, again, we see him in Rome there helping Paul with his ministry. And Paul is even asking the, the Colossian believers to, to receive John Mark well, uh, to be receptive of him. And same thing in Philemon 24, we see that, again that Mark is right there. John Mark is right there by Paul's side in his ministry. So total reconciliation there between those two guys. Now, I don't know about you, but it's, it's a little bit interesting to me that this personal conflict is even included in Luke's account at all. I mean, Luke obviously spent a lot of time with Paul. As I mentioned, he was in Rome with him as well. He traveled with him. Um, you would think that Paul's good buddy <laughs> might not uh, include this, might have omitted what was kind of potentially an embarrassing incident for this great man of faith that we, we all kind of look up to here. But, but obviously it's here. The Holy Spirit guided Luke to include it in his narrative here, so that must mean that there's something here for us, right? Or it wouldn't be here. And just like we can take lessons from how the churches in Antioch and Jerusalem resolved their doctrinal differences, we can take some lessons from how Paul and Barnabas resolved their personal differences this morning. So I want to give you a few of these. If we look back at the model that they gave to us, number one, Paul and Barnabas kept their personal problem on a personal level. They, as far as we are told here, they did not try to involve a bunch of other people. They didn't try to pull a bunch of folks in and get people on my side and take, take up sides against the other one. 
We tend to do that sometimes, don't we? When we're in a disagreement or a conflict or an argument with somebody, it's like, hey, all y'all come over here and tell me I'm right. You know, if I got more people than they got, then yeah, there you go, right? That's what we'll do. We, we, or, or we're just, you know, we're whining and complaining about this other person and what they did or what they said, right? We just want people to agree with us that we're right and that person, that's a bad person over there that did this to me. They didn't go there. They kept their personal problem on a personal level just between the two of them. That's an important place to start. Number two, Paul and Barnabas did not let their disagreement ruin their relationship as friends and as brothers in Christ. How do we do when we're dealing with conflict? Hopefully it doesn't end, us, end up costing us that relationship. If we're handling it in the right way, if we're handling the resolution in a godly way, Really, when you think about it, that relationship is probably going to end up being stronger on the other end for having worked through whatever the problem was. So that's another thing to think of, right? Do it in such a way that you're not going to lose that relationship regardless of how it turns out. And we don't see any indication in Scripture of any loss of love or any loss of respect between Paul and Barnabas. Nowhere. Number three. They came to a resolution. That may sound simple, but how many times do we not come to a resolution when we have a conflict, when we have a confrontation with somebody? So many of us sometimes, I think, just like to just kind of turn and look the other way, and if I ignore this long enough, maybe it'll just go away. Maybe I won't have to deal with this anymore. I'm just going to pretend like nothing happened, and eventually everything will be okay. It'll smooth over but it's kind of always hanging over your head, isn't it? When you don't deal with it, when you don't resolve it. So this is really an important part, guys. Come to resolution. Paul and Barnabas did, right? It meant parting ways, but that was their resolution. And they did it right. They did it well. Because when you don't come to resolution, the problem doesn't just disappear. It's just going to sit there. It's going to continue to fester and that's when we're going to probably start trying to pull people in. And here we go. It just explodes on us. Calm to resolution. Don't let it just hang out there unresolved. Number four, their separation. I want you to notice this. Their separation was a cooperative act, not a competitive one. It was a cooperative act, not a competitive one. They could have made it a competition. They could have said, oh, well, this idea of going back through all the, the churches that we visited and we planted on that first journey, it's a great idea. And so you can take your guy, I'll take my guy, and gone on the same journey, took the same route, gone to the same towns and the same churches at all the same time. And what do you think would have happened? What's going on here? Why are you two over here? Why are you two over there? Well, he said, well, he, that guy, right? They could have made it all about themselves. And again, here we go with the competition. Who's more important here? Who did better work? Who led more people to the Lord? It, it could have gone all over the place. But again, they understood what was important. They understood the mission. And so they went their separate ways. It was a cooperative separation, a, a cooperative act on their part. So 
They didn't create issues. They didn't create problems for their partner teams in ministry. And that's huge. So lastly, when disagreements or conflicts are handled in a godly way, a lot of good can come out of that. Not just stronger relationships with the person that we had to resolve that conflict with, but a lot of greater good. And we see a lot of greater good that came from these two conflicts that we've looked at these last two weeks. Number one, again, the Jerusalem Council. I want to go back to that one more time. Right? It helped to clearly define the gospel for the entire church at that time. Right? It paved the way for so many more Gentiles to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And it resulted in a unified church. That's huge. That council helped to unify the church. And then this week with the conflict that we see between Paul and Barnabas, again, not only did it double the number of missionary teams to the Gentiles, but again, both teams were unified in their mission to take the gospel to a lost world. And, and like I said, it paved the way for what turned into a huge second missionary journey for Paul and Silas, their longest one that he took. So think about it for a second. What's the common thread between these two conflicts that we've looked at? It's unity. Unity in diversity. Again, if you think back to last week, the Jewish believers and the Gentile Christians, they were recognized as different in Acts. But the gospel that they believe and the faith that they hold to is common to both. Unified in diversity. And with Paul and Barnabas, they had different gifts. They had different perspectives. But to the end, they remained one in faith and one in mission. They were unified in their diversity. Guys, and this is where we need to be within the church not just this church, but the church. Unified in the midst of our diverseness. The more diverse we are, the stronger we are. As long as we stay unified in what truly is important, right? Our faith and our mission. So we can't. We can't let conflict get in the way of our personal ministry. We cannot let conflict get in the way of the ministry of the church. So it's where our church needs to be, and, and folks, it's where we need to be in our personal relationships. Paul and Barnabas were obviously very different individuals. We are all different individuals. So when we have conflict, not if, but when we have conflict, when we have to confront, there is a right way. There is a godly way to do that Again, that's going to result in an even stronger relationship, a stronger bond that helps us to stay focused on why we're here, and it helps us to stay unified in what is truly important in this life, and that's taking Jesus to a lost world. That's all the good that can come when we resolve our conflicts in a right way, in a godly way, just like we see Paul and Barnabas doing here. So as we close, I, this is what I want you guys to think about this morning. A couple of things. 
How are you at resolving conflict that comes up in your life? Are you an avoider? One of those people that just kind of looks the other way and hopes it goes away? Do relationships end up being more damaged on the back side of it when you resolve conflict in your way? I want you to focus on that a little bit this morning. That's number one. And number two, I want you to think about, is there conflict in your life right now that you need to deal with? If there is, it's getting in the way of your relationship with the Lord and serving Him like you need to recognize that. There may be somebody right here in the building that you need to go to this morning. There may be somebody that you need to get with after you get home this afternoon. If they're not local, you may need to pick up the phone this afternoon and have a conversation with somebody. I, I don't know. Let God lead you in that. I want you to bow your heads for just a minute and think about those two things. How am I doing at resolving conflict in my life? Do I need some help? Is there some things here that need to change? Do I have conflict in my life that needs to get made right? Where we need to find a resolution in a godly way. You may be here this morning and your conflict is really with the Lord because you've never come into relationship with Him. God has revealed that to you this morning that I invite you to just to come up here right now and we can take care of that and help you to start that relationship with the Lord that you so desperately need. So that can be part of your response time this morning as well. I'm just going to give you a few moments. Lord, we are so grateful for your word, for everything that's there. There's so much for us. God, I pray that what we've talked about this morning will take hold, that, Lord, you will reveal to us if there's some things that we need to do differently when we come in conflict with our brothers and our sisters. 
when we have to confront. Lord, it's so uncomfortable. It's something that we tend to avoid, God, but it's so necessary when a relationship has become strained. Give us grace and mercy as you show us every day towards our brothers and sisters. Lord, to, to go to them, to make, make the things right. To, to save and restore those relationships and to bring glory to you through that. So God, if there's somebody in our life that we need to come alongside and to make things right with God, just lay that on our hearts this morning. We are so grateful for the love that you show us, for the grace that you show us every day. Lord, and just uh, help us to be mindful of how we treat each other in the relationships that we, we have every day. Lord, and just give us wisdom as we need it to deal with the disagreements and conflicts that come up in our lives. We love you and we praise you this morning. We give you all the glory. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.